the Divergent Fitness Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Sobrio-Ritter, behavior analyst, personal trainer, and mom of three living in the Bay Area, California. I'm super excited this week to dive into systems work. We've got a really good foundation going. Uh, We've talked about values and goals, process goals, self-acceptance, tolerating aversive stimuli, desensitization. Uh, We've got a really good foundation of knowledge, and now it's time to figure out how can we implement some of these things, and that's precisely what systems work is. It's how am I going to do the thing that I want to do, right? I've already identified what I want to do and why I want to do it, when I want to do it, right? I've created some really good goals that are observable, measurable, realistic, timely, all of those criteria for uh, really good goal setting. And now I have to figure out, but how do I do this when I have kids and I have a job and I have a lot of responsibilities and things that are required of me? How am I going to find a way to do this? So systems work is basically taking everything that matters to you, the goals where you want to be successful and making it as effortless as possible so that your environment, your natural context is going to evoke the desired behavior. So what we're going to talk about are some different strategies for how you can create an environment that is going to naturally evoke the response or at the very least going to reduce that behavior chain required to engage in that desired response or increase the behavior chain, right? Make it more challenging, more difficult for you to engage in the behavior that you are trying to decrease. So If you remember, we've talked about both antecedents and consequences. So antecedents are something that come before a behavior. Consequences are something that come after a behavior. And we always try to modify our behavior through the use of consequences, right? This feels like what we've grown up with, maybe. Uh, This feels really familiar to us. So we tell ourselves, okay, if you go work out five days this week, you can buy yourself this item that you really want. And we try to increase that reinforcement that's available in order to prompt ourselves to engage in that response. We try to up the ante to to increase that motivation, right? The reality of this is probably your motivation is already pretty high. Potentially, you might really, really want something to happen. So all this does is really add something unnecessary, right? Because the issue isn't motivation. You can maybe... Think about something that you've really, really wanted before and still found it really challenging to find a way to do it. It's not a motivation issue. The motivation is there. The desire is there. The problem is that we need to manipulate the antecedents instead of the consequences, which means we need to create an environment before the behavior occurs that is going to prompt that behavior to occur, that's going to uh, potentially evoke that behavior and support you to engage in that behavior more effortlessly so that it comes easily. So we're going to review today some systems that are effective, some strategies. Uh, I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with the work of James Clear. He wrote Atomic Habits and Atomic Habits specifically is very behavior analytic. All of it is applied behavior analysis. Uh, And he did a great job of breaking it down in a way that everybody could understand and could potentially use and implement those strategies. So some of this comes from his book, Atomic Habits. Uh, A lot of this just comes from my experience as a behavior analyst. Just all of my knowledge sort of combined together. I'm not going to review all the strategies today because probably we're going to want to break this up into multiple podcasts. 
because I would like in between the podcast for you to try some of these strategies out uh, and to really have time to pick one that you like the best or that felt like resonated best with you and to try it out for the week and see if it works and then have time to adjust as needed. So I don't want to throw every strategy at you this first time uh, and have some really good ones potentially get lost in the mix. So what we want to do ideally in the very beginning is just identify like uh, what are our target behaviors. So these are the behaviors that we'd like to work on. What you need to know is are these behaviors that I want to increase or decrease? Probably you're wanting to do both, right? If you're wanting to decrease a behavior, you're sort of simultaneously wanting to increase a behavior and vice versa. So when I have a behavior of increasing my healthy eating, I'm probably simultaneously having a behavior of decreasing my unhealthy eating. Uh, If I have a behavior of wanting to exercise, I might also have a a desired behavior of decreasing the amount of time I spend sitting on the couch watching TV that's impacting my ability to engage in exercise behavior. So you want to pick your target behavior. Ideally, you're looking for behaviors to increase, but some we can focus on a decrease as well, right? Because we want strategies around those. We, we don't want to uh, leave you without support in that area. So let's identify, uh, let's say binge eating at night, because this is so tricky. At the end of the day, we've all potentially had a really hard day where we've had to maybe white knuckle through a lot of tricky situations. Um, A lot of emotional and psychological processing was potentially required. And you might be looking for and feeling like you need a way to sort of numb from the discomfort that you're feeling after that kind of a day. Uh, And binge eating is such a socially acceptable comfort, right? It's, It's available. So much food. We have such a surplus. And sometimes when you can't engage in any other behavior that would comfort you or you perceive that you can't engage in another behavior that would comfort you. This is just such a quick way of seeking a little bit of comfort. I actually just now had this experience. Uh, It's sort of late in the evening and I wanted to make sure that I record this podcast before I go to bed and I was in the kitchen looking for uh, cookies. (laughs) I was looking for a treat if we're being honest and I couldn't find one, <laughs> which is one of the strategies uh, that I, I didn't mean to implement, but actually ended up working great. Um, we just happened to not have any cookies in the house, but I'll talk about how you can be really intentional about that. But what I thought to myself, so as I was searching, it created enough of a pause. It created enough time for me to ask myself, am I even hungry? And then the answer was no. But I don't want to work. I, I, I'm not because I don't love doing this podcast, but because I just feel tired. And so I'm seeking comfort because I'm not giving myself uh, access to my real need, right? I'm not giving myself access to what my body really wants right now, which is just rest. Uh, and so, as a secondary sort of here, you can't have this thing that is actually what you need and require in this moment, but you can have this other thing. It's sort of a way of turning off the fire alarm, you know, like, hey, body, shut up and just do what I'm telling you to do. Uh, here's a thing. Here's a little bit of sugar. Here's a little bit of alcohol or cannabis or whatever it is, right? Uh, and we all potentially do that sometimes in order to force ourselves to move through something that's uncomfortable. Uh, and so what we're trying to do is figure out 
A, what we actually need. Ideally, you give yourself that. And if you can't, what are some other things? So I have a, a really delicious chai tea, like a sugar-free tea that I love uh, by Oregon Chai that I'm drinking right now. That's a super good replacement behavior. And uh, I'm also reminding myself that I'm going to rest right after I'm done. So we're going to say binge eating at night. Okay, so this is a behavior to decrease. All right, and then the flip side of that potentially is eating more veggies um, or having a more healthy option in the evening. Ideally, you don't just tell yourself, hey, don't do that. You tell yourself, do this instead. So imagine if you're talking to a child and they say, can I have a cookie? You're not just going to say no. Ideally, you have some other thing to offer. You can't have a cookie, but you can have an apple. You can have a cracker, you know, or uh, whatever the option is. So you want to sort of offer yourself that same thing. You can't binge eat Pepperidge Farm holiday cookies in the evening, but you can drink your chai tea. Um, So give yourself some options there so that you're not just feeling like you're saying no, but then there's nothing for you to reach to. You're just going to have to like sit there and be in the discomfort of not getting the thing that you want, which is also a good skill. Um, But if you don't have to be uncomfortable, then I say don't, right? Let's not do that. Let's be more comfortable so that your health journey and your fitness journey can be more tolerable, can last longer, can just be generally enjoyable. All right, so we're going to, I'm going to give you a few strategies for behaviors to decrease, then a few for behaviors to increase, and then uh, we'll go ahead and wrap it up so that you can pick one or two or however many that you like, see what resonates with you, and use them in the upcoming week or two uh, before we drop some more, and then you can see if you like those better. Uh, Just kind of keep adjusting. I think that the biggest thing that I've recognized has been a huge asset to me is just having a flexible mindset. So when something doesn't work, being able to pivot, this is called psychological flexibility, being able to pivot towards something else, being comfortable with something looking differently than I had anticipated. uh, This is a huge skill. And so I really want to teach my clients to be able to adopt that skill uh, and to adopt an objective mindset regarding their behavior so that appropriate and effective systems can be identified. So if during Thanksgiving you perceive that you didn't eat healthy and you went like quote unquote off the rails and you were out of whack, instead of thinking to yourself, like instead of thinking like a scientist and thinking, oh, that thing happened, Uh, here's the situation, the context, the setting, the environment, the people that evoked that behavior, that that made that behavior more likely, that uh, contributed potentially to that behavior, etc. Humans often go towards, "I, I lack all of these skills, I'm not good at this, I can't follow through, I can't eat healthy, I can't stick with anything, I'm lazy, I'm you know, worthless, no one's ever going to love me, I'm not going to be successful at anything, right? We have all of these sort of stories that we tell ourselves about something instead of just seeing it objectively. So I really want to support my clients to see it objectively because if you get sucked into the emotion of all of this, of all of these stories, I mean, think about the story, I can't do anything, right? I fail at everything that's a pretty disturbing story. Like that story evokes some feeling in me. And probably you, when you tell yourself that story, it evokes some real charged emotion. 
And think about when you're experiencing really charged emotion, how capable are you? How, how able are you to engage in problem-solving behavior? When you're under stress, when you are in crisis, when you are feeling badly about yourself, is your brain like open to lots of possibilities? Is your brain thinking creatively? Are you having these like lightning bolt moments of, of discovery, you know, self-discovery and, and all of these epiphanies and, you know, are you able to solve complex problems easily because the answers just feel like they pop into your mind? No, what happens is you get triggered on a deep level, right? That a stimulus is quite aversive and then you begin to have a physiological response, whether it's tension in your body, whether it's panic or anxiety or depression or whatever it is, you're not available to really have flexible and creative problem solving. And so what we want to do is keep this as objective as possible, not only because it's the most kind, self-compassionate thing that you can do, uh, and it's really along the lines of what I talked about in our last podcast regarding self-acceptance, but also it frees you up to be able to identify some different solution. If, if I have a partner and they come to me and they say, hey, you know, I don't really like when you did this thing when we were hanging out with friends the other night. If I immediately get charged by that person giving me that feedback, I don't have the bandwidth, right? I don't have the, the clarity to say, A, I'm sorry, and B, how can we solve this problem in the future? Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry I brought that up. Uh, here's what I can do in the future. And I identify a few solutions. Hey, do those work for you? And now we can collaborate and come up with a solution together so that we can move forward and both be really comfortable. But if I get really charged by my person saying that, right, I lose my objective lens. I become so immersed in the story. I get so triggered by the story. Now I can't think, I can't solve problems. So that's why being objective is so helpful, not only because it's kind, but also because It's the thing that's going to help you move from one strategy to another without getting stuck on any one that might not be working for you, right? Flexibility and the ability to pivot to new things is a, it's a positive trait. It's a good thing. Okay. So we're going to talk about behaviors to decrease. So let's identify, um, I'm going to probably use binge eating at night because it's just sort of an easy one that seems to be tricky for a lot of people. That's going to be sort of my common behavior to to decrease. And I'll use that example as I go through some different strategies. So something that you can do, the first thing that I'm going to suggest is identifying antecedents. So what this means is you're going to identify stimuli in your environment that prompt that behavior or that are most likely lead to that behavior. So for example, um, having unhealthy foods visible that's immediately like, boom, you know, hey, that's a flashing, you know, like a little flash to your brain, like, hey, reinforcement is available in the form of delicious, salty fat, you know, potato chips. Um, Hey, this, this reinforcement is available in the form of this other thing. If all of these things are within your visual field, when you see them, it's an immediate prompt to your brain that that reinforcement is available, that delicious food. And you have to continually tell yourself, no, 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 right? It requires a lot of like cognitive bandwidth. It requires more effort. 
Um, so having those things visually present within your field is making your life much harder. So identifying some of those antecedents in your environment and removing them uh, is one thing. So we're going to take all of the less healthy foods that you're likely to binge on and move them to an area of the house where you're not going to see them. They need to go inside of a cupboard. Uh, they need to go behind the healthy things. So when I open my fridge, I see the healthy stuff in the front. Uh, it's, it's most easy to access. Uh, the unhealthy things are farther in the back. I'm, I can't see them easily. Um, another antecedent might be your partner. Let's say your partner snacks while you guys are watching TV together in the evening and you're really trying to stop engaging in that behavior. You've been engaging in that behavior maybe for a long time, like for years potentially together. So now there's this really long learning history of we sit down together and we snack on whatever we snack on, right? We just enjoy watching TV. So you're going to need to identify that's going to be a stimulus that's going to prompt you to engage in that same behavior. So instead of just telling yourself, okay, he's going to, he or she is going to be sitting there eating uh, and I, I don't want to do that. I'm just going to sit here and, and hear them eating and smell the food they're eating and just do nothing and watch the TV. Uh, this is going to be really tricky. This is going to be really challenging unnecessarily. So in that situation, you're going to want to identify some replacement behavior, some replacement food, some replacement drinks so that you can potentially continue enjoying that little habit that you have, um, but in a way that is going to contribute to your goals. The other thing, this was something that I had to do for a little while while I was prepping for a bodybuilding uh, show, is I had to just not just sit in a different spot. So when you engage in a behavior over a long period of time, you've basically created a situation where all of those little pieces of that context evoke this behavior. I sit in this spot, I snack on these foods, my partner sits in that spot, they snack on those foods, we watch these shows. It's all a part of that puzzle of that experience, right? That sitting together and snacking experience in the evening. And so for a long time, what I had to do was go upstairs to a different room uh, with my partner, but just to create a totally fresh situation where I didn't have such an attachment to all of these specific behaviors on this couch, watching this show, eating these foods, I had to basically flip around that setting a little bit, switch up that context so that I could create a new learning history in that new context uh, can make it a little bit easier. This same thing can happen when you talk about people who are uh, addicts and they're recovering they will often not go to the same places where they used to engage in those addictive behaviors or they won't hang out with the same people. It's because it makes it really hard to be in that environment and to engage in another behavior because those environments have been so paired with those specific behaviors for so long that it's really hard to like push against that stream, right? If you're swimming upstream, it's really hard uh, versus just changing one small thing can really make that easier to do. When you're identifying replacement behaviors, so this is the second thing, something that you're going to want to do that would be even better than just identifying replacement behavior would be identifying one that A, gives you the same joy and 
and positive reinforcement as the initial behavior and B is also incompatible with that behavior that you want to decrease. So for example, let's say I like to binge eat in the evening. This is what I normally do. I identify a replacement behavior of snacking on fruit and raw veggies. That behavior is incompatible with binge eating unhealthy foods because I can't easily eat both things at the same time, right? When I'm eating one thing, I'm naturally not eating the other thing. So it meets that criteria. Does it, however, meet the criteria of being as delicious and lighting me up in the same ways as some of those more bingey processed foods? Probably not. So that would be an area where I would want to address that because if if I'm not meeting both of those criteria, it's going to be really tricky for me to engage in that replacement behavior over time. So what I might do is I might say, okay, uh, an incompatible behavior is eating a different food. Great. Uh, That makes it easy in that way. Can't do both things at the same time. But instead of raw veggies, I am going to do strawberries and I'm going to do it with a piece of angel food cake and some Greek yogurt. And it's going to taste like a strawberry shortcake and be super delicious and fulfill all of those same kinds of cravings um, but going to be much healthier than what I would have eaten and I'm going to get a little protein too which is wonderful and super satiating. So remember when you're identifying place replacement behaviors ideally they are incompatible with that behavior that you're trying to decrease and also they fulfill the same kind of need and are as reinforcing or as close to reinforcing as possible. They give you the same thing as the behavior that you're trying to decrease. If I'm trying to tell a kiddo, hey, don't hit your brother, use your words instead, I've got to find a way to make using your words instead just as desirable and just as effective. So if he uses his words and his brother doesn't listen, he's learning that doesn't work. This other thing works, it's effective, right? It gives me the thing that I want access to So in that situation, it's like figuring out a way to make words really effective, right? Reinforcing the brother for uh, responding to his brother's words instead of his aggression, right? In this situation, I've got to find a way to teach my brain, hey, this is just as good. I promise this will still give you the thing that you want, uh, but is also going to help you feel better in a number of ways. All right, one more strategy for decreasing behaviors before we move on to increasing behaviors is you want to increase the response cost or the difficulty to engage in that undesired behavior, right? The behavior that you want to decrease. So similar to the first strategy that I suggested, identifying antecedents, in this situation, we are trying to increase the difficulty to engage in that undesired behavior, increase the behavior chain. So if you remember, a behavior chain is a number of tasks that you have to go through to complete a final behavior. So when I tell my kids to get dressed, that's not just one behavior, that's a number of behaviors, right? The behavior of walking into the closet, the behavior of picking out clothes, the behavior of taking off pajamas, the behavior of putting on the new clothes, right? It's many things. It could equal up to, you know, 10 steps if I broke it down really, really tiny into each minute little task that needs to be done. So what we want to do is we want to increase that behavior chain for that undesired behavior. So when I couldn't find cookies tonight, I remembered that I had some in my car, which was totally accidental, but 
this required me to get on my jacket, get on my shoes, go out in the cold, walk down to the garage, and it just did not feel worth it to me, right? Which is wonderful. However, my chai tea that is super yummy also was readily available. I could have it in a minute. And the other thing is, like I said, while I was looking for the cookies, it created enough of a pause for me to identify if I was even hungry. I realized that I wasn't. And so what you want to do is you want to increase that response cost. You want to make it harder to engage in the undesired behavior. That's why often I'm not going to have, there's certain foods that I just can't have in my house because I have not yet identified a way to have moderation with those foods. Actually, it's just two things. It's kettle corn and it's these cheddar Ritz chips. I, I can only eat them. My serving size is a bag of both of those. So everything else, any dessert, any salty snack, anything you can think of, I can have in the house. Uh, but I think it's like if you know there are just a couple things and those things are tricky for you, just don't have them in the house, right? That's okay. If you can only eat a pint of Ben & Jerry's at a time, just don't have pints of Ben & Jerry's in the house. Every once in a while, get a pint. But expect that you're probably going to eat a pint. Don't tell yourself this fiction that you're not going to unless you have mastered some strategies around being able to do that. By creating a little bit of pause, by making it a little bit more difficult, you can be more mindful. That's the whole goal is just to be more mindful. The goal is not deprivation. The goal is not to not be able to enjoy things you want. The goal is just just be mindful when you're enjoying it. If I'm going to eat those cookies, I don't want to eat them while I'm watching TV and I'm just sort of like shoving them in and I'm not really present for that experience. This is just all about mindful eating and all of these strategies create an opportunity for you to be more mindful. So by increasing that behavior chain, by making it more challenging for me to engage in that undesired behavior, it gives me more time right? It gives me a little more space between the stimulus of whatever I was experiencing. Maybe the stimulus is hunger. Maybe the stimulus is emotional discomfort or distress. It gives me a little time between the stimulus and the response to engage in a behavior that I value. So let's talk a little bit about behaviors to increase. So the first strategy that I'm going to suggest is identify a routine behavior with which to stack your target behavior. So for example, if I want to meditate every morning, I want to pair that behavior of meditation with another behavior that I'm always going to do no matter what. So I went to a shaman for a short time. We did some processing work together and I remember she used to say, rise, pee, meditate. So she used to say RPM. So she didn't realize she was doing this probably, but she was stacking the behavior of meditating with going to the bathroom in the morning because you're always going to do that. So what you want is for this to become such a routine that you don't even think about it. You want to automate your habits, but you want to automate the ones that are helping you reach your goals because the problem is that usually when we're not able to meet our goals, it's because our habits are absolutely automated They're just the habits that we don't want to engage in and creating a new habit is hard because you're basically in a rut and you're having to push against the rut to get out of it and create a whole new neural pathway for this new habit, right? So it can be more effortful in the beginning, but when you pair it, you stack that habit with another 
behavior that you are for sure going to engage in, this can make it easier. So for example, something that I will do is I'd like to be more mindful throughout the day. So whenever my kids start fighting, I stack that stimulus with taking three deep breaths. So lucky or unlucky for me, I have many opportunities to be able to do this. Uh, This isn't really stacking a habit with another habit, right? Um, I guess, although I'm, it's stacking my kid's habit of fighting with each other with my habit of deep breathing. Um, but it is stacking a stimulus in my environment that appears to be unrelated, my kid's fighting, with a habit that I want to engage in, three deep breaths. Uh, another way that I could do this is every time I get a text, take three deep breaths. Every time my boss sends me a, an email of something that I need to do, take three deep breaths, right? I'm stacking those things, those stimuli in my environment with this new habit that I want to engage in. Uh, so think about the habits that you're going to naturally engage in throughout the day. Think about the stimuli that are going to pop up for you. How can you stack this thing that you want to be doing more of with one of those things so that it just naturally they begin to be paired together uh, so that it happens more often. The great thing about stacking a positive habit with potentially a negative stimulus is that it sort of transforms the stimulus. So if I take three deep breaths every time my kids start fighting, that stimulus of my kids fighting, almost I begin to look at it as an opportunity to reconnect with myself and make sure I'm breathing. So it takes away, right, or it re- frames the aversiveness of that stimuli, right? Uh, So that it becomes slightly less aversive. And I've sort of been able to see it in a different way as an opportunity to reconnect with myself, um, which is really positive. Or if you told yourself, every time my boss sends me an email of a task that I need to do, I'm going to meditate for five minutes. It's almost like eventually you're looking forward to your boss sending you an email with things to do because you're really looking forward to that habit that you've stacked with that stimulus. So another thing is you want to, this the second thing that I'm going to suggest is similar to when we were talking about decreasing behaviors, but this is increasing a behavior. So you want to increase stimulus salience. So what this means is that you want to make the stimuli that prompt the response easy to see and access. So I remember at one point I was dating somebody and she had always a joint and alcohol out on her counter. Like she could grab it. There was no behavior chain required for her to engage in those behaviors. But then some of the other behaviors that she said she wanted to engage more in um, were, you know, reading, writing in her notebook, exercising. But those materials required to do those activities were nowhere to be found, right? Or they were hidden, they were in boxes. I, They weren't easy to access. And so this is the thing is that you can say that you want to engage in a behavior, but if the behavior chain, right, and the stimulus salience for your undesired behaviors is the one that's right in front of your face all the time, you're constantly being prompted with an opportunity to engage in a behavior that you don't value potentially. And so I always thought that it was so easy, it was so accessible uh, that probably she often reached for it when she didn't even want to or when she didn't even value it, but just because it was so available. 
And so just like you want to make those less desired behaviors less available, you also want to make the more desired behaviors readily available. So out on your counter, you might have your uh, collagen powder that you add to your tea. You might have your supplements. You might have some healthy fruit. Um, you might have your running shoes by the door with anything that you need for the gym. Uh, you might have your water bottle full and ready to go. All of these things make it so that the behavior that you want to engage in is naturally evoked by the presence of that stimulus, right? If I walk into the kitchen and I'm even a little bit hungry and the first thing I see is an apple, sure, hey, great, that sounds awesome. Often the, the thing that you end up going for is just the first thing that you saw, right? It's just the one that was there. And so if you can make the one that's there be the one that also leads you towards your goals, even better. We're really wired to avoid unnecessary energy expenditure. So when we're hungry, we really just want to go for the quick and easy thing. Often that ends up being something that's processed and isn't super healthy because uh, food companies have really mastered the ability to light up our brains and really trigger that deep evolutionary response of like quick satiation. And so what we need to do is just hack the system so that your body can still be satiated very quickly, which is what it wants, but in a way that's also really beneficial for you. Um, and then similar to that and also going along with what we talked about with the behaviors to decrease. When you want to increase a behavior, you need to decrease that behavior chain. You need to make it very easy. So not only is the stimulus salience higher, but also engaging in that behavior is so much easier because the chain is reduced. So let's say that you have apples out on your counter. You're thinking, oh, I gotta get the cutting board out. I gotta get the knife. I gotta whatever, right? Now you've, you're potentially, that would have been a great snack, but now there are other things to consider. Whereas bag of chips is just reach in, grab it out, open. So that might still feel easier. What you want to acknowledge is that you are competing with delicious convenience foods that have been manufactured to light up all of those reward areas of your brain. They have the perfect blend of fat, salt, sugar, whatever is needed to really hit those spots. And so you're competing with that and being really realistic about that is important so that you can make sure you plan and help yourself be successful. So you might not want to cut the apple up ahead of time because it's not going to, it's going to get brown and it's not going to be delicious, but you can take out of the cupboard the cutting board and the knife and just have them on the counter so that when you walk in you see the apple all you have to do is take the apple out just quickly cut one slice off there you go you're eating a half of an apple you know and that can happen very quickly and that is a very short behavior chain um, what I do is I have a pan that's on my stove that's just always on my stove it's a large skillet and whenever I have to heat something up, whenever I have to make something quickly, it's just there readily available. I don't even have to take it out of the cupboard. So I'll make eggs, quickly rinse it. It's a super good nonstick, so washing it is very easy. It's just 
mostly requires a rinse. And then I just set it right back on the stove. If I need to heat up some rice and chicken, dump it in the pan, heat it up, quickly rinse it out, put it back on the stove. That for me seems to be something that has really made it easy to engage in a lot of healthy behavior because just that simple, that simple behavior of having to reach into the cupboard, oh my gosh, which cupboard did I put it in? I don't know what your cupboard looks like, but basically I just shove everything in and I just, when I'm looking for something, I just look in every cupboard because I don't know which cupboard I put it in. So there are definitely some limitations to my organizational skills when it comes to the kitchen, but just that behavior of having to open the cupboard and pull out the pan is enough to keep me from doing it. It takes five seconds, but for whatever reason, it's just enough that I'm less likely to engage in that behavior if it's not already out on the stove. I'm less likely to engage in the behavior of heating up a healthy food for myself, and I'm more likely to just grab something out of the cupboard like a a bag of chips or something. Uh, Just like I talked about in my Instagram story recently, I used to have a big jug of water that had a cap on it. I wanted to increase my water intake, but I would fill it up in the morning and then I would never drink it. And what I recognized finally is that there was something about removing the cap that just felt too effortful. I don't know why. It takes three seconds to remove the cap, but I tried, I decided to try a cup with a straw like a large cup that I, that's insulated that I could carry around and it just has a straw. So I just have to pick up the cup and drink it. There's no, I don't have to remove any cap. And my water intake has probably increased three times. And to me, intellectually, it's kind of ridiculous because I'm like, I can't believe that just this tiny little behavior of having to take off the cap was enough to keep me from engaging in, in increased water intake behavior. But for whatever reason, it did. It was just enough of a barrier that I would not engage in uh, increasing my water intake. And yet, when that wasn't there and there's just a straw, now my water intake is like through the roof. And it's no problem anymore. So even the tiniest little behavior that you perceive as not a big deal could be the difference between engaging in this behavior or not engaging in this behavior. You're trying to go to the gym. You can't find your shoes and it takes you more than half a second to find them, you might give up. You can't find your keys very, very quickly, you might give up. You have to gather any number of things and you think, oh, I don't have time, I have to gather all this stuff together, you might give up. It might seem small, but it's those tiny little inconveniences that add up throughout the day. Think about friction. So we're really designed to go the way that requires the least friction. So even though none of those things are a huge friction, none of those things are a huge barrier to overcome, think about tiny friction throughout the day, but just constant, right? Everything is just more challenging than you wanted it to be, but just a little bit. And eventually that last little challenge could be enough that you're now not going to engage in this behavior that's actually really meaningful for you. So what you want to do is decrease the friction for those really desired behaviors and increase the friction for the behaviors that you do not want to engage in. Make those really hard to engage in. So those are the strategies. I'm just going to quickly go over them again. So for behaviors to decrease, you want to identify the antecedents that are prompting that response and potentially alter those, eliminate those, um, switch it up, switch up your context, switch up the people you're with, switch up your 
uh, environment or your setting. Uh, the second thing is identify replacement behaviors. Uh, specifically two things, those that are incompatible with the target behavior and then also those that are going to be as desirable and rewarding as that original behavior, right? So if eating unhealthy, delicious food is the behavior that you want to decrease, you need to find some delicious, healthy food as an incompatible replacement behavior so that you are not only unable to engage in unhealthy eating behavior, but you also don't have a desire because you're getting as much delicious feedback from this food that you are eating that you're not craving something else, right? So it's not about going from kettle corn to raw broccoli. It's about going from kettle corn to chocolate oatmeal or something else, protein oatmeal or a delicious chocolate peanut butter protein shake with a half a bagel. I mean, finding something that's going to be pretty darn good because you're competing with other things that are really, really good. Uh, and then the last thing I'm suggesting for behaviors to decrease is increase the response cost slash the behavior ch chain slash the friction for that undesired behavior. Make it harder to engage in that undesired behavior. Put your unhealthy food high on a shelf. Put it where it's not visible. The process of having to go grab a stepladder in order to get to the unhealthy food might create enough time and space for you to ask yourself, do I really want this, right? And that can be really helpful to have just a little more time to, to respond super mindfully. And then for behaviors to increase, you want to identify a routine behavior with which to stack the target behavior. So something that is going to happen anyways, something that you're going to do anyways, pair it with a desired behavior. Every time I wake up, right after I use the bathroom, I meditate for five minutes every time. And then throughout the day, every time I use the bathroom, afterwards I meditate for five minutes, right? You pair those together so that they just automatically go together and it becomes like you don't think about it. Right? There's no friction in deciding, am I going to do this or am I not going to do it? You just do it because it's you've created this habit over time. Uh, the second strategy for behaviors to increase is increase stimulus salience. Uh, so make the stimuli that prompt the response you want easy to see and access. So your healthy food is in the front of the fridge. Your healthy food is lower on the shelf and easy to access. It's out on the counter. Uh, it's everything is readily available. It's prepped and delicious as much as it can be. Uh, and then the third strategy for increasing behaviors is to decrease the behavior chain slash the response cost slash the friction. Decrease the friction for that desired behavior. You have an apple on the counter and you have the cutting board and the knife right next to it. Because if you just have the cutting board when you go in to look for the knife and it's dirty, that challenge that tiny little friction could be enough that you're like oh my gosh I don't want to wash a knife now I gotta wash I gotta find the knife I gotta wash it that's too much I'll just have the chips it seems like a little thing but this kind of tiny little frictions throughout the day is what keeps us from engaging in our desired behavior so you want to make it so smooth to engage in the desired behavior there's no friction you just roll naturally to it so there's three strategies for decreasing undesired behaviors and increasing desired behaviors using some behavior analytic strategies and some of the work from James Clear's Atomic Habits. I hope this is super helpful. Pick one 
or more that you think you want to try out this week, give me some feedback. Send me a DM on my Instagram at DivergentFitnessCA. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you find this information to be helpful, please send it along to family and friends, anyone that you think will benefit. It's super meaningful to me uh, for people to hear this message so that they can use the science of human behavior to live a more values-based life. And I always, always appreciate reviews because that also helps get the podcast out to more people and help us support more people to be living this life of achieving their goals. So have a wonderful week and I'll see you next time. Bye. Oh,